Seacoast Church began 28 years ago. That's 28 years of helping people find God, grow their faith, discover their purpose, and make a difference. A lot has changed in nearly three decades, but some things remain the same. We are still committed to serving every person who walks through our doors. We are still committed to being active members of our communities, our cities. How will you be a part of this story? Let's take a look at how you can make a difference. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now uh, from one of the venues here, Long Point, those of you in the chapel, the warehouse, and uh, at an off-site campus, and also around the world online. We're glad that you guys are a part today. Um, for those of you here in America, I hope you enjoyed Thanksgiving. Did you get enough turkey? Everybody get enough turkey? You didn't, it's your own fault probably. I mean, we had, um, I think we had 28 people uh, in our house and one quarter of our family was gone because they went somewhere else. So uh, anyway, we had fun and uh, loved, the, loved the holidays and I hope your football team won. Um, we, you know, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago that one of my toughest job was Jobs was pastoring through the election. At least the election was close. You know, I mean, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I'm a Carolina fan. I know, I know, I know, but I've got a backup. I'm also a Colorado fan. They won last night. So anyway, whatever, whatever. But we're glad you're here. We, we will have response stations at each of the campuses for Carolina fans today. And, you know, we'd like the Clemson fans to repent of pride and arrogance and not being nice, okay? So a lot of you are wearing orange. That's wonderful. We love that, okay? Good. <laughs> you know, one of, the, one of the privileges I do have at Seacoast is from time to time to introduce you uh, to some of my friends. Uh, I have friends that are great, great pastors and teachers of the word all around the world, and it's my opportunity uh, to do that today. I introduce you to Michael Moore. Uh, Michael Moore, it's Michael. <laughs> it's early, it's early. <clears throat> what is your name again? Michael Murphy. <laughs> I knew, yeah, Brent. <clears throat> Michael and Valerie Murphy are some of my great friends. They, uh, sure, Valerie says. <laughs> this is a practice, okay? So, so anyway, uh, Michael and Valerie met, and you, you'll figure out they're not from around here. Uh, from Australia, uh, met actually at Hillsong Church, and uh, Michael was on staff at Hillsong for years and years and years and years, and currently he uh, does, he has a ministry where they travel all over. Uh, he gives leadership talks to businesses and churches, and he speaks in churches on the weekend. And then he also works with me just with a little bit of his extra time. As you know, uh, I am the president of the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which is our church planting arm of Seacoast. And uh, Michael is a part of our global team, and we're having our global team uh, come in uh, this weekend and do some strategizing for next year. And so I said, uh, Michael, I want you to come in, speak to our staff, uh, talk to our people on the weekend. Michael's a preacher. I'm a teacher, so you just kind of sit there and go, hmm, that was pretty good. With Michael, you say amen and get after it. Let, let the wild dog eat, you know, whatever. You just come up with it because, I mean, this is one of the great preachers in the world. And I am so thrilled and excited that you get to share this weekend with my friend. Would you welcome him as he comes? Give a big Seacoast welcome to Michael Murphy as he comes. Thank you. 
Thanks very much, Glenn. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Greg, Greg. How are you, Seacoast? You doing good? Yeah. It is so great to be here. And uh, we, love, we love Greg and, uh, and Debbie. And uh, just, you know, we, my wife, Valerie, and I, honey, why don't you stand up and if you could sing a song, that'd be great for us. And uh, <clears throat> give my wife a welcome to church today. She doesn't normally come to church, but I'm really looking forward to seeing what God does today in her. <laughs> how, many, how many think it's great you can just have a bit of a laugh in church? You don't, like, we take, we take what, what, what our Savior has done very seriously, but, but we don't need to take ourselves all that seriously. And I thank God for a church that is really, come as you are, there's a real relaxed spirit we can lean into God's word without being kind of, uh, you know, tight, if you know what I'm saying. And uh, I'm doing a bit of talking now so you can get used to the accent that I don't have. Just remember, it's your ears that have the accent, not me. I always talk like this. And uh, people say, where are you from? I say, I'm from the south, uh, the deep south down in Sydney, Australia. And uh, we, we, it is a joy for us to these days, after 30 years of ministry, been in ministry 33 years now, about three years ago, um, God made it very clear that it was time to hand our church over to the next generation, and we did that. And uh, we now spend, I think I worked out last year that, I, that we spent about 60 nights in our own bed. So 300 nights we're traveling, uh, having the absolute, we get to do this. My wife said, when people retire, they travel. We're doing all that traveling now. And so we can stay home when we retire, if we do. I actually don't read the word retirement in the Bible. I kind of read refirement. And, uh, but uh, we, because we do that, we spend time in Africa, in South America, in Asia. And uh, some of our best friends actually doing great works for God. A friend of mine and, uh, and Pastor Greg's uh, up in Japan, Rod Plummer who planted a church there just over a decade ago in a nation where the average size church is 28. He's now got 4,500 4, uh, in many, many campuses. And here's my point. There are some churches that are called to be really good local churches, and we thank God for that. There are other churches that are called to be regional churches where they'll be a bit of a watering hole for ministers and leaders in that area. And there are some churches that God puts his hand on that are called to be churches of global impact with generational significance. And I honestly believe that Seacoast is one of those churches. Um, we already in Australia, one of the, the hats that I wore when I was in our, uh, helping to lead our movement of churches in Australia was overseeing church planting. The seeds that you sowed those many years ago, and look, if you are brand new to Seacoast family, maybe you're at one of the amazing campuses uh, that are watching uh, here uh, live or online, and maybe you're someone that's just started and you're thinking, you know, if I lean into this, what, what's gonna, what am I gonna be part of? So you're, you're part of a church that is desperately passionate about reaching its local community, but is very concerned to do that thing that is close to God's heart in the nations of the world as well. And uh, so we are having some fun as a result of the seed that you have sown, actually seeing ark, 
uh, movements started all over the world. The seeds that you sowed those years ago have multiplied not just 600 times across your nation, but in the last couple of months, I've been in uh, Ireland Ark. I've been in Netherlands Ark. We've just started Ark Australia and New Zealand. Um, up in Asia, things are going crazy there. Uh, and that is all as a result of your seed. No Greg Surratt, no Seacoast, no Ark, no thousands of churches that are being planted all over the world. And you say, well, that's, we're just not doing, you're right, you are just being you, but thank God for you. And can I say from the bottom of my heart, from the very deep south, thank you for the seeds that you've sown into the nations of the world. Why don't we give God a hand for that we can actually be involved in that kind of way. I get to meet a lot of younger leaders all over the world, and uh, Pastor Josh Surratt and Lisa, they are some of the best going around, and honestly, the world-class team that you have here um, are absolutely amazing. Um, just uh, already, uh, they've been bragging on all the campuses pretty well, um, up in uh, North Carolina, in Asheville, uh, Teddy Winter and the great work that he's doing there, um, Pastor Roy, there's great momentum happening right now in Somerville, so keep going, reaching a lot of college age uh, students, and, uh, and uh, Columbia, their first their first, their new building is starting to fill up and that's really, really exciting. And a big shout out also to North Charleston who of course were the epicenter of the 4,000 meals that you guys were part of uh, giving over Thanksgiving. And uh, so that's, why don't we give, it a, give a shout out for all of the campuses that are, that are part of one family. One family, many locations across not only South, South Carolina, but uh, Asheville up in North Carolina as well. Hey, let me pray. We're gonna get right into the Word. Father, I thank you that your Word is truth. Thank you that one portion of your Word mixed with faith in the heart of a believer that loves you can change our entire life. We're believing for nothing less than that today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Um, the only one unhappy about the 4,000 meals is Peter, the uh, animal rights, that you've been killing way too many turkeys, but that's a whole other message. Come with me to the, in, the, in the book of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter five. Um, just before we do, a little update on our family. I had the privilege of speaking here a couple of years ago on a Sunday. Since then, there's stuff that's happened in the Murphy, Murphy household that has given us a greater generational uh, perspective. We've got a couple of little grandkids. This is Aubrey Harper, just born about two months ago. And uh, little Freddie, uh, Frederick Michael, he was born about 16 months ago. And uh, he's, a little, he's, he's channeling Woody right there. And, uh, and then... Another family member that I think many of the students met, she came and was, was one of the team, I think, for the last uh, student camp or student conference, and her name is Elise, and uh, she's just got engaged to Cameron, living out in LA, and uh, so we are, we are very, very excited about all that God is doing in, for family. We had the privilege of being invited uh, for Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, incidentally. Uh, to, uh, to Pastor Greg and Debbie's, and uh, I was able to borrow some grandkids. Like, 
There was a bunch of them. One stage, I think, we went out in the Ranger, did some off-road driving. There were kids everywhere. Don't tell their parents. They were hanging off the edges and so forth. We brought most of them back alive, so it was really, really good. (laughs) 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Do you say 2 or 2 Corinthians? 2 Corinthians. Let me get it right. When in South Carolina, do as the South Carolinans do. That's what my... Mum used to never say. Uh, <laughs> you're distracting me. Come on, let's get to preaching. To 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Let me just take a little pause there before I read on. There's a really unusual little quaint word here that is, that is rarely ever used where heaven is saying something to earth. The verse starts off and says, the love of Christ compels us. Heaven rarely compels us to do anything. We've got a free will. And so when I read that in Scripture, it gets my attention. I go, what is heaven, through the pen of Paul, compelling us to engage in? That word compel is an interesting one. It's the same word that you would use to arrest someone. So let me put it this way. Heaven wants to arrest us with this truth. And the truth is pretty self-evident. It basically says that if he died for all, then all of those that are recipients of the outcome of that sacrifice, we don't have a leg to stand on as far as living for ourselves. God has called us because we have been bought with a price to at least go through life without our blinkers on. In a generation that says it's all about me, heaven is urging us. Heaven is, another way of putting that, constraining us. Heaven is arresting us to say, come on, don't live for yourself. Let's live for those around us. We're in a series called Make a Difference. Week one, you talked about how you can make a difference inside the church. Week two, how we can impact our community. I'm gonna take it a step further today and talk about how we can actually make a difference in the lives of our loved ones who don't yet know Jesus. Moving on down, it says in verse 18, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. I love this because before he gives us a ministry of moving out, he affirms the fact that he's reconciled us first. So something happens in us that God says, I want that to constrain or compel you to actually take on board this ministry I'm giving you. And he calls it there, I'm giving you the ministry of reconciliation. As you have been reconciled, it is our responsibility to at least open our hearts, understanding that it is our our call in life 
wherever we are to help reconcile others, to be a partner with God in that. It goes on and says that God was in Christ. Here we go again, reconciling the world to himself. So before he gives us a challenge, he says, just reminding you, I'm reconciling you. I've done that. I'm reconciling the whole world. So he says, I want to commit to you the word of reconciliation. So we have the ministry of reconciliation, which I believe paves the way for the word of reconciliation. I introduced uh, my beautiful wife to you just a few minutes ago. Her her story, we, we both got pretty broken backgrounds. We didn't really get raised up in an evangelical uh, Christian setting. And some of you would identify with that. Some of you online there, you're saying, well, I haven't yet got the church thing down. Hey, listen up. I want to really encourage you. It may be that God has brought me all the way from Australia just to encourage you where you're at. Uh, someone here, and I probably don't need to be a prophet to say this, someone here, and this week has been one of the toughest weeks of your life. You, you, you've been right at the end of yourself. And you're even asking, say, is it worth it? I'm here today to tell you that God's heart for you is to reconcile you to himself. And when that happens, friend, everything changes. My wife was a flight attendant. And, uh, and, you know, like she was traveling all over the world, having a, a marvelous life on the outside, but was very broken on the inside. Partly uh, caused by a, a, a marriage that she had when she was, she's still very young, but when she was younger still, which lasted two years and her husband walked out with someone else. Um, and so she, she was broken and uh, her brother invited her down for the weekend into an interstate city, Adelaide, and uh, at that lunch they were having pumpkin soup. And this lady, Canadian lady actually, approached Valerie and she sat down next to her and said, Valerie, I've been learning how to help people to actually start a friendship with Jesus. She said, could I just just practice on you? So this lady didn't even have it off herself. She's reading from a thing. She's reading the verses, reading the questions of this particular course she did. She looked over, Valerie's weeping into her pumpkin soup. You say, I gotta know all the answers. I don't know enough to be the voice, the, the, have the word of records. This lady's reading off a sheet. <laughs> and my wife actually cries into her pumpkin soup and has now been part of influencing thousands of people around the planet. Don't say you don't know enough. Don't say you've got to have all the verses down. Don't say that you've got to be some super spiritual giant. This lady helped to lead my wife to Christ by reading it from a sheet of paper. Can you thank God for my wife's salvation? I certainly do. So we've got the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation, And then it goes on a little further. It says, verse 20, now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. Again, there you go again. God is pleading. When does God plead? God so desperately loves you and your friends. God loves your family members that are not yet 
in the, we've got boldness, the Bible says, in 1 John chapter four, in the day of judgment. You can stand with your head held high, your shoulders back, and say, Jesus, I'm glad to be home. What about your mum and dad? What about your son, daughter, brother, sister? I believe that, and, and Pastor Josh used this beautiful little phrase last night that leapt in me when, I, when he said it. I believe we can see a moment today become a movement of the workings of God in your family. It's not God's will that any family should partly go to heaven. It's not God's will that your brothers and sisters would be left alone and left behind. God's heart is that he would use us in our brokenness, in our ignorance at times, in our we don't know enough. God wants to use you just as you are. It goes on and says that God was, implore, he implored you, we implore you, it goes again. God was pleading through us. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Anything I do up here, I can stand on my head and I'm still not gonna be able to convey the urge of the heart of heaven for you. Do you know that God wants your loved ones to spend eternity with him way more than any of us do? And I believe over this next season, which is honestly harvest season, this Christmas season, I'm believing for many of your family and friends. I'm going off notes here, but I just really feel to impress this. I believe that if you can have a mustard seed of faith, I believe if you can even light a candle today with purpose and intention, the candle won't save anyone. But you saying, God, I wanna partner with you. I can't do this by myself. I'm lighting a candle and I'm gonna start to speak over their life. You know, my friend Rod Plummer, who I mentioned a moment ago, he went to a nation where the average size church is 28. 28! And every person he ran into, every missionary, here's what the soliloquy was. Here's what the mantra was. Oh, you've come to Japan. <laughs> Japan's a hard place. The Japanese people, man, they are resistant to the gospel. He refused to believe it. From the very first day, his little team of ragtag Aussies, before anyone had ever come to Christ, he started to, started to speak over them. Japanese people love the gospel. Japanese people are open to the gospel. Japanese people are the easiest to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ than anyone else in the world. If you're gonna give God a clap, why don't you make it a good one? Come on, why don't we give the Lord? <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Think about this. Now, I'm, 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 I'm catching you up here. How do you speak over your family members? Oh, Bob, oh, Bob, oh, man. He was blind drunk in the corner again in Thanksgiving. <laughs> Uncle Bob, everyone's got an Uncle Bob. If your name's Bob, I'm sorry, if you're uncle. <laughs> oh, Shirley, 
Oh, geez, she's a hard nut. Why would you say that? When the glorious, when, when God in heaven is urging us to take on board the ministry of reconciliation. When God in heaven, who rarely compels, urges, or implores us to do anything, he says, it's your life, I've given you a free will. But on this issue, he says, I want to urge you. I want to arrest you. Why would we speak death and hardness over our family members? Let me encourage you, as you stand by one of those candles, that you would, under your breath, or even out loud, I don't care, I'm Australian, I only have two speeds, on and off. (laughs) Why don't you say, Mark, my brother, is open to the gospel. The gospel's coming his way. His heart is melting as I'm praying right now. My friend, Rod Plummer, who refused to accept that the Japanese people were hardened to the gospel, he's now got four and a half thousand people that by the grace of God he's ministering to in just over a decade. All of those that said, oh, the Japanese are hard, are still bumping along the bottom, scraping the barrel and seeing very little fruit in their ministries. Something happens, our words have creative power. So the word of reconciliation is not just the words that you say to someone like like Valerie's friend did as she cried into her pumpkin soup. But I believe there's something about the words you say over them in terms of their openness to the gospel. Does that compute? You understand what I'm saying there? Let's change our language and change our faith and change our expectation. And I get it. Sometimes families can be problematic as far as the gospel is concerned. God doesn't want I want you to catch this in your spirit. God does not want one of your family members. Greenville, look at me. God does not want one of your family members. Come on, James Island, John's Island. God does not want one of your family members to be left alone. Today, I believe you can make a moment into a movement through your family in Jesus' name. You good? Come with me into Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. You're awesome to preach to. And I'm not just prophesying that, hoping you will be. I I, I believe that. (laughs) Actually, before we do that, let me just do a quick whistle stop on the end of the Gospels. The very last, I need your help here. The very last words in each of the, I mean, the Gospels are the story of Jesus. He was sharing the good news. He was doing good to all, delivering people of oppression and all that kind of stuff. So this is very, very powerful. Let's just have a quick look at the Gospels. The very last word in each case, in the book of Matthew, we read this. Matthew 28, verse 20, it says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. What's that last word? Age. That was miserable. What's that last word? Age. Age, and the next word is amen, right? Everyone say amen. 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 The gospel writer there is saying, that's it, no more, nada. That's, that's the so let it be. In the book of Mark, it says, in verse 20 of of Mark 16, confirming the word with signs and wonders following, and the next word is? Amen. Amen. 
So again, the, Mark is saying, that's it. That's the end of my gospel. In the book of Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, we'll have a look at that in a moment. They were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. And the last word is, help me now. Amen. Amen. The book of John says in John 21, 53, uh, that if, if, if all the things that Jesus did were written down, uh, the whole world could not contain the volumes written therein. And the last word is? Amen. Amen. So the gospel writers make it really clear when they got to the end of the book, that's it, finito, no more. I wonder whether this is a pattern, even in the, in the book of Acts, which, which commentators remind us is a continuation of the book of Luke written by Luke himself. In verse 31 of Acts chapter 28, so this is the very last chapter of the book of Acts, 28, 31 says, Paul was preaching the kingdom of God, teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Did you tear a page out? Let me me try that again, sorry, sorry. Teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence, no one forbidding him. (laughs) No amen. It's almost like it doesn't finish. Acts 28, it's almost like it's a dot, dot, dot. It's almost like there's an intended continuation. As As always with God, no accident is there. The book of Acts doesn't look like it's finished because it's not supposed to finish. Ladies and gentlemen, I have before me right now and live on the screens, Acts 29. The reason that it doesn't feel like it finishes, it's not supposed to finish, you and I are called to continue to carry what God started in this generation. The title of my message today, if you need one, I know some of you are troubled, he hasn't given me a title, (laughs) is the fifth gospel. I contend with you that there are actually five gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And most people don't read the first four. We are called, Paul says, come with me to, 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 uh, to, to 2 Corinthians again, chapter three. The Bible says that, that we are epistles written by God and designed to be read by all men. So this means if you're up in Asheville and maybe you're in the corner kitchen, you're having some brunch, some grits and, and shrimp or something like that. We don't call them shrimp, we call them prawns. Everyone say prawns. We never, we never, I, just, I, I hate to disillusion you. We never throw shrimp on the barbie. <laughs> just, I know, I know. Sometimes we throw a slice of kangaroo on the barbie. We're the only nation that eats our, our national crest. <laughs> How would that go? What are you having for barbecue? So, yeah, we're gonna throw a bald eagle on the barbecue. <laughs> Treason. <laughs> Maybe you're at Smoke on the Water in Greenville and, uh, and you're just there. You, you, God says you are a living, walking, breathing epistle. Maybe you're at, down at Irmo's at Lizard's, Lizard's Thicket, and, and you're there and, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a friend is there and, and you're talking to them and you're having a coffee or whatever. 
And, and you are a living epistle. Now, what I'm not saying is you need to be a Bible basher. Kapoo, kapoo, kapoo. You got it? <laughs> you go in on Monday morning after a great Sunday. Someone says, how are you? You go, redeemed. There's <laughs> probably a better way to do it than that. Make a connection. Engage with them. But here's what I want you to catch. There is this little progression that happens. God says, I've given you the, first of all, the ministry of righteousness. The ministry of righteousness. In 2 Corinthians chapter three and verse nine, it says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. The ministry of righteousness, literally, again, I know it's a fancy religious word. All it means, if you're brand new on this journey, if you're still calling Psalms the book of Psalms, I did that for a while. <laughs> it's all good, it's all good. First generation Christian. Should be, should be now Psalms. Silent P, who, who made that up? The, the, the ministry of righteousness literally means you are in right standing with God if you've received Jesus Christ and his grace by faith. It's got nothing to do with your works. It's got nothing to do with how goody two-shoes you might be or not be. It's actually the finished work of Jesus. And he either paid for all of our sins on that cross or he paid for none of them. And so when that's a revelation that goes beyond your head and sinks into your heart, you can walk around with a confidence, not an arrogance, Tigers fans. <laughs> if the shoe fits, wear it. You can walk around with a confidence that the favor of God is upon you. And what that does, that places your heart in a... In a so you don't, you don't give the word of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation, out of a sense of obligation, but out of a sense of, oh God, you're so amazing. God, I have got boldness in the day of judgment. This gospel is the most glorious thing that there ever was. And therefore, out of that spirit, I received the ministry of reconciliation. So I understand God is compelling me not just to live for moi. The 21st century Trinity, me, myself, and I. I'm actually living for him who died for me and rose again. I receive the ministry of reconciliation and I'm prepared to bust through the fears and the inner head, in the voice in my head, to actually engage in the word of reconciliation. Oh, friend, reconciliation. This glorious gospel is totally good news. The word good is not even enough in this generation. Good has been watered down. Hang on, good? No, no, it's not good news. It's great news. It's fantastic news. It's excellent news. It's magnificent news. God is compelling us to say, I've done it all. Would you be a channel for me? That's all. Let's do this together. <laughs> Let's do it together. Let's partner together. I was playing golf over in Western Australia, Perth, the far western city. It's as far as 
kind of you are from LA. And I was playing with one of the business guys of a, uh, in the church of a friend of mine. We had a great game. He was a real character, South African guy. So we were, we were you know, kind of jibing off each other. You know, in Australia, if people trash you, they love you more. The more they trash you, the more they love you. We, we, we had to, Pastor Chris Hodges came to Australia. We had to kind of coach him on that for a little bit. And uh, then he started, he got, he got it pretty quick though. He started slagging us back. Say, like, oh, beautiful, you love me. You've made me feel this big. Oh, I'm love. <laughs> so anyway, we played golf and I had an illustration to do the next morning in church. And, uh, and we, it was, I bought a bunch of copy watches. I don't know if that's even legal, but I did anyway. And, and so what I, would, I was talking about trashing time and how tr- time is a resource and so forth. And, and I said, I want you to put Greg, my business friend, friend on the front row and give him, I couldn't find him myself, so give him this copy watch, get him to take his good watch off, put it in his top pocket and wear the copy watch. So it was about a thousand seats, uh, flat floor, so it was quite a way back and so I had the camera, I came down off the the platform, had the camera guy following me and uh, I'm going to sing a little number for you right now. (laughs) Give me a G, give me a G. I've always wanted to say that. <clears throat> anyway, anyway, you're distracting me. Stop it. So, so anyway, he, he actually, I came across the cameras here. It's all on the big screens. I said, g'day, Greg, how you going? I said, sweet watch. And he kind of covered it up. And I went, oh, you're good. You're good. And I said, give me a look at that watch, Greg. And again, he was a bit resistant. So I took the watch, the copy watch. And I thought, oh, that's heavy. So I had a sledgehammer in my hand. And what I was going to do is, smash the copy watch and then say, aha, not really, here's good watch, it's a copy watch. Put it in a little black velvet cloth and on a bit of wood and I lifted it up and then the people, and I went, don't worry, I'm a professional, I've done this before. Smash, 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 smash. Open it up, the the watch is in a hundred pieces. Glass and bits of metal and, you know, kind of spree, you know. (laughs) It has seen better days. And so made the, the point, I was starting to move into that moment of just helping people to connect with God, which in a moment, your campus pastor is gonna come and do. It may be that you're away from God. It may be you're distant from him. It may be you've been brought along for a, by a friend, and this is the very first time that you've been in a church quite like this. Like me, I come from a Roman Catholic background. Mum and dad are still in the, in the Roman Catholic church, got no beef there. But I was looking for, where's the stained glass window? Where's the statues? Where's the, at least we've got the candles for you. But then I realized it's not about those things. People had a joy. They had Jesus on the inside. So whether, whether you've been distant from God, God, you, your campus pastor is gonna come and help you to find a way back home or for the very first time. That'll happen just in a moment. Back to my story. So anyway, the rumor started going around that Greg had forgotten to put the copy watch on. And I went, no, no, that's crazy. He, no, no he, he really forgot. He had the copy watch in his pocket and his $7,000 gold Rolex on his wrist. Oh yeah, you look sad. How do you think I felt at the time? I said, Greg, I'm so sorry, but Greg, you're a smart guy, you run a big business. I had a sledgehammer in my hand. Come on, you don't need to be Einstein to work out what I was gonna do. I wasn't gonna bang myself on the head with it. I said, why didn't you stop me? He said, pastor, he was South African, it's the best I can do. 
pastor, he said, why would I let a stupid watch get in the way of the preaching of the most glorious message of all times? Phew. <laughs> but isn't that something? And you know, he's absolutely right. I do believe he got that fixed. <laughs> but this glorious message is so glorious. It's better than a gold Rolex. It's better than anything else. It's better than the fear barrier that you feel even at the thought of me bringing the challenge. And I make no apologies. I throw the gauntlet of challenge down to you. It just may be that the people in your world are the only link that they have. You are the only link they have to an eternity with Jesus. Selah. <laughs> Let's today make a moment, turn it into a movement in your family and with your friends. It's just a little switch of the heart that says, God, I ask you to forgive me because for the last several months, I've not even thought about bringing anyone to church. No condemnation, but come on, let's, let's understand that heaven is compelling us. Heaven is constraining us. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you that heaven right now is on its feet in anticipation of the movement that's gonna happen out of some moments that you share with your precious children. Lord, both here at Mount Pleasant, in the other campuses, those online, Father, would you do what you wanna do in their hearts? Father, we, we can't do it ourselves. We lift that up to you right now. I wanna partner with you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.